thank you for joining us for the PMP Podcast. I'm RJ Isaac, your host. And today I have with me John Pepperoni, who has a lifetime of experience in property management. And he's going to share with us some of the crazy stories that he's had to deal with, these crazy situations that property managers who have been in the business um, for uh, for many, any, almost any time can attest to these, these just ridiculous situations. And he's going to tell us how he handled them and, and what he's learned from them and how he's adapted his business from those experiences. So thank you so much, John, for joining us. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me on the show. So before we get into the show, um, I just want to first ask the audience here to uh, please make sure you follow us on the social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and of course, YouTube. Uh, we're also on the major uh, uh, podcast platforms, so Apple, Spotify, anywhere that you can think of. So please be sure to follow us on all these platforms. It really does help the show grow. And also, if you leave a five-star review on any of the podcasting platforms, I'll be sure to read your review on one of the future shows. So it's a great way for you to get some recognition for just giving us five stars. So thank you so much. And without any further ado, let's get into the show. So, uh, John, I want to first establish you've you were talking about before the show and you said that you have some some uh, quite a bit of experience you've been doing this um you know your parents were in property management for so tell us about you know the, the breadth of your experience with property management um and we'll get to in, into some of these crazy stories that you and situations you had to deal with absolutely like like i said i was born and raised you know around properties and real estate my parents were factory workers but they had uh properties that they uh they would buy, like the way it worked is when they came to Canada, because they were originally from Italy, when we came to Canada and they started buying real estate, they would buy, but they wouldn't sell the property they lived in when they moved. They would rent it out and buy the next place. And they kept doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, until we got to the uh, last property, which was the one we lived in, where he tore down the property and then built up and stuff. And uh, so what ended up happening is, uh, so I've been surrounded by that my whole life. And then I've been, uh, I used to go to open houses before I knew why realtors did it. And it was like, I'd be going looking at houses. I'm like, oh, free way to look at houses. This is exciting. Yeah. Uh, little did I know, they keep asking me for my name and number. I had no idea why. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize, oh, they're going to call me. And it's like, you know, damn. <laughs> now I know, now that I'm in the real estate business myself, I understand. So yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, now now I get it. Now I get it. For, for me, I'm looking at houses. For them, this is a lead source. I'm like, hmm, okay, makes sense now. So yeah. with that being said, when my parents got sick, um, and they, uh, ended up going to a retirement home. I was like, I had quit working a couple of years back, like before that to stay home with them and, uh, you know, help them along and stuff. And then when they decided to go to the retirement home and I had to figure out what do I do with myself? I sold my other businesses, closed down one. And then I've been two, three years without working. Do I go back? Uh, like, do I start another business? Do I go to the corporate world? Well, I tried the corporate world. I lasted three months. And, uh, then I said, okay, now what? So. That's when I decided well, I'm going to get my realtor's license. And so I thought hmm, this is going to be good. So I can go see houses now and <laughs> I get paid to be there now. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. great. Right. So, um, and then from there on things were, you know, lots of learning lessons there lots of growth and lots of opportunities. Then I started getting investor clients. So once I got investor clients, I found some unique ones. I had, um, I have one of them that, uh, basically has never seen his property. I don't think 
if he drove by it, he would even know it was his. Oh, wow. Unless he, yeah, yeah. So, and I remember a funny story where uh, he called me up and asked me how many people went through the house. And I'm going, none. None? Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, what do you think? Is the price too high? Oh, no. You're not even on the murky yet. Oh. What did I sign then? Like, why isn't it on the market? Because you bought another property. Oh. Where did I buy? I tell them. Hey, was it the good one? Yeah. Because that explains why I had to send a check. I couldn't figure out why I'm leasing my place and I'm sending you a check. Oh, my. Because that makes more sense now. (laughs) Yeah. Because when will the other one be leased? Two weeks from now. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so, (laughs) so as you can tell, like, so in a way, they're kind of great clients like that because yeah. then you know what? They're true investors. They're truly there. It's all about numbers and data. Yep. So, and then that's, you know, my, my uh, portfolio of clientele of investors has grown from there. And yeah. So then sometimes, a lot of times, like I have a few investors that uh, I, I have no idea why, but I have their keys. They don't even have keys to their house. I have them. Every time it's a problem, yeah, can you go check this out? Okay. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it built, right? And when little favors like, oh, yeah, hold on to it just in case we have to rent it again. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> right? So here and there, go and do this. Can you do that? Can you do there? Next thing you know, hey, what do I owe you for this? And then and then that's how I built up a little bit of uh, <laughs> a flow with that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so it was totally by accident. <laughs> now, well, so, so it sounds like you're keeping it fairly small, your, your operation then, just with a, um, a couple of investors and, and not trying to just grow to, to a massive size. Yeah, well, my primary business is a real estate agent, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those uh, things I help my uh, clients as an additional service, sure. right? Versus just uh, saying, here, call somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. uh, you know, so it's sort of the value added service. Yeah, yeah, sort exactly. Sort of differentiate me from somebody else. So, yeah. but uh, it was interesting. Now, I got a funny story about uh, uh, about when I was younger with my parents' house, if you want to hear it. Yeah, well, please. Uh, that's what we're here for. I want to hear all these crazy stories. Oh, this is, <laughs> this one was comical. Now, I, I was like 13 years old, and uh, I remember one of my, our neighbors came by, like from because this is one of the rental units, and it was uh, on the street that was on the other side of where we lived. So it was the one I grew up in. I was born in that house, uh, and then we moved into the one I lived in for most of my life when I was five. So what ended up happening is one of the neighbors came up and said, hey, you know what? Because we've known your whole lives, I wanted to give you a tip. Uh, not a tip, uh, a little uh, information you know, and do what you want with it. I'm like, okay, there's people coming in and out of that house all the time. You know, there's people staying over, different cars, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, these tenants been there for 30 years at that time. So I'm like, all right, uh, you know, what do you want me to say? They're like, there might be something going on. And I thought, oh, crap, this is the last thing I need. Right now, he's telling me this, and I'm like, what do I do? So I, I say something to my dad, and he's like, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Fast forward. Things get better. A few years later, another neighbor comes by, says again, cars parked all the time. Something's going on. You know, I think they're selling drugs. No, they weren't. <laughs> but, you know, accusations come out. Yeah. So at this point in time, my dad is retired. He's no longer well, and he's fed up. Right? So um, what ended up happening was that uh, we're looking. It ended up being that they were doing a boarding, a rooming house. It they is. were renting from us. And the mother, like originally was a couple that rented there. They got mm-hmm. divorced, but the daughter stayed. Okay. So they stayed upstairs and then they rent, they got the mother to go downstairs. And my dad was fine with that. 
So what ended up happening is that they had an idea that they can all live downstairs and rent upstairs. Yes. Of course, we knew nothing about it. And yeah. that explained the people coming in and out, in and out. So, oh my God, it was kind of embarrassing, right? So I remember then, um, so then I, my dad started figuring out something's going on and he just had it at that point. Comes home one time, goes, I'm selling the place. I'm like, we don't need to sell. No, no, I'm selling it. Well, when he said I'm selling it, he's already got the realtor. He's already got the price and he's already got someone to look at it. Oh, wow. But the but the point is we had to get these people out. Yeah. So yeah, that was interesting. So now we've started finding out the truth and we served them. And this is where we learned about eviction because at that point in time, we had never evicted anybody. Most people, they just stayed. Or when they, when they didn't stay, they called us to leave. We've never evicted anybody ever. Right. So that's kind of a good track record. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Right. So what happens? We evict them. Of course, the day after the notice, these guys were professional renters and we did not know. Again, they've been there for 30 years. How would we figure this out that they were doing this? It wasn't just our place. They had other places they were doing this too. Oh, Didn't wow. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we figured this and out And this is before Airbnb, right? Like this is- Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Long before. We're like, I'm 46 now. This is, like I said, at this point in time, I might've been 17, 18, somewhere around there. Okay. Right? So, <laughs> so all this is happening. So what happens? Move out day? They didn't move out. Oh, crap. Now what? So- we go to court, we, we go to court, we put them to court, find out where we, we served them a day late. And I didn't realize there was a date for that, you know? So then we had to start the process over, kept delaying, delaying, delaying. More of the story, nine months later, they didn't even tell us we evicted. We didn't see that he left. We were at court where they were supposed to show up and they were moving. So we're sitting there going, we, we spent our whole day in court, never found them again. Now we're trying to figure out what was the big deal? You know what I mean? Like we got two learning lessons here. Lesson number one, when you have the opportunity to raise the rent for market inflation, raise it. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. My dad just kept the price the same. He collected his money. There was no mortgage on the home. He didn't care. Um, no, no. Raise it every time. So second lesson, at least once a year, check up on the house. We went 30 years, never been inside. And I remember, so here's the funny part. So we go in to check to see what happened. We realized we don't have keys. Oh, wow. So we end up basically breaking the door to get in. We walked in. My dad goes downstairs right away. He goes downstairs and I'm thinking, okay, I went upstairs and we have hardwood floors there. I'm looking at it and going, why are they putting like in the middle of the living room, they're putting a, an area, not an area rug, but like a hallway rug. I thought that was weird. I lifted up the rug, looked downstairs, waved to my dad. There was a hole in the floor. That was bigger than a basketball. Oh, wow. What was it yeah, from? So, Do you have, you have any idea what it was from? We have no idea what they did. It was just really weird. Yeah. So that was the biggest learning lesson ever. I wasn't even in the business then. And I got the biggest lesson ever. So I got a, I got a massive lesson before I even joined. <laughs> well, I think it's actually a really interesting point, though. I think there's a lot of landlords that will start renting out properties and they'll have this idea of, I want to be the nice landlord. I want to be the good landlord. That's not going to be like all these other trashy landlords that, you know, do these things. And it works until that point it doesn't. And like, like this, where like you've been, your, your, your parents were doing this for plenty of time and it was never an issue until finally 
you realize, oh, wait, this actually was an issue. We should have been doing this the entire time. And you don't know that unless you do it. Um, and so like doing the yearly inspections, I, I mean, I remember talking to plenty of tenants and they, you know, not happy with doing inspections or, you know, there's plenty that are fine with it, but um, they, they just don't like having someone coming into their house and looking around their house and they, they think you're just out there to just, you know, find some reason to evict them or something like that and, and get really on guard. But you just, if you, you just have to do it because if you don't know what's going on in your property, again, you could end up with a hole in your floor. Like, like you can just end up with some crazy yeah. things like that. Um, and it, I, I do want to also circle back to, you made the comment about the, the importance of making sure you raise rents and keep your, your, your property at market. So can you expand more on, I, I, cause I have some ideas about this myself and I, and I, I want to share those as well, but I'm curious what your perspective is. What's the reason that you see that being such an important thing to do? Well, look, we lucked out on this one here because of a, a builder or developer bought the property because it was a massive lot. So, so he knocked it down. It didn't matter what condition it was in. Oh, nice. What if we had to resell it? Then we'd end up trying to resell it to get rid of it. And we'd have these massive repairs to make on it. And because we were collecting below rent, and when I say below rent at the time, we were talking about, it would have been like $800 a month below rent. Oh, wow. Right. So, or more, depending if you consider the basement, right? So it was one of those things that even if you don't personally need the money, the difference would have been going towards the repairs and updating it so you could sell it or re-rent it in certain circumstances. Yeah. And on top of that, if you live in a spot that has rent control, then what ends up happening is you cannot, like, it's not one of those things I didn't rent, uh, raise rent for 20 years as an example. And I, and uh, just say it was going, uh, we were allowed to raise it 2% per year. So I can raise it 40%. No, no. Once you miss the boat, you miss the boat. So now if you have a mortgage and interest rates go up like they did in the last year and they went up uh -huh. by, uh, you know, like uh, 4%, now all of a sudden you're only, you can only raise it that half a percent the government allowed. So now you're actually losing three and a half percent per year. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's. Because you have to, a lot of people, when they buy property for rent, they forget that there's a maintenance side to it, that there's, uh, you know, an, uh, you know, an uplift side to it where, you know, to bring it up to uh, current market standards. They forget all that. They forget about all the surprises, the roofs and everything that can break. And they're getting by and they're getting by with a $200 a month cash flow and they're very happy with it. And then all of a sudden, three years later, roof goes and all that money they put away goes right back in because they didn't put anything aside. And sometimes if they spent it all, now they're in a hardship, they're a landlord that's in hardship and they shouldn't be. Yeah. Or if you kept up to the market rent, it'll kept up, keep up to inflation because a roof that's $4,000 today and about 10 years when you're going to need it is going to be about six or 7,000 due to inflation. And if you never kept up with your intake, then your out, you know, your output is going to be very painful. What is, and, and I'll, I'll, I, that's all, um, Great points. Uh, one of the other sides that I've seen is the side of the tenant and how the tenant, when their rent is significantly below market, that they approach, they seem to approach problems in a different way. And I'm speaking in very broad terms here, and, and there's always exceptions, and I always clarify that because whenever I talk about how the way, you know, the relationship between tenant and landlords, there's always people on the internet who just get all worked up because of my experience. Uh, but what I've also seen on the on the tenant side is that when tenants are having this low rent, they 
instead of taking advantage of that and saying, you know what, we're $800 below rent here, we can start putting that money aside and saving that up so that way we can go buy a house of our own. Like that would be a, a reasonable thing to do. Most of the time what yeah. ends up happening is they say, this is great, we got cheap rent, we're set here, the landlord doesn't care about replacing the rent, maybe we should go get a nicer car. Or maybe we should go on this vacation. And look, I I, I don't like, say, I don't think that's inherently bad. Like if you can afford to go to a nice on a nice vacation, if you could afford to buy a nice car, by all means, go ahead and do it. I don't begrudge anybody who's able to do that. But the challenge is, at some point, this, this gravy train is going to end, and the tenant is going to have to find a new place to live. And now they're going to be hit with this massive shock that what they thought was a normal rent, this, this affordable place that they've been living, is actually significantly below rent, and they can't afford to live anywhere else. And unless they significantly downsize what their standard of living has become from living in this property. And then at that point, they become really difficult tenants to, to move out because they don't want to go to other places or they're going to start complaining about, oh, you haven't been taking care of the property. And now that's going to what you were saying about the the importance of the the financials and being able to do the upkeeps and all this stuff. And so on both sides, on the landlord side about being able to make sure you upkeep the property and on the tenant side about just making sure that they're actually like having the right mindset of what the what their correct expenses are, that they know what the market expenses are, so we don't make a bad financial decisions. It's also um, and these are both two really important aspects that come together, and why I think that it's important to make sure you keep your prices at market rents. Absolutely. Here's another point that I'm going to make, and this one's going to be a little bit controversial, but unfortunately for many people, it is the truth which is some people are, look, I'm going to clarify. There are some people that are renters because they're in an in-between or they got to get started somewhere, but there's many, many people out there that become renters and they stay permanent renters because of the lifestyle choice they make and they have no forward thinking and then therefore end up carrying this anger and resentment towards the landlords because they feel like they're owed or entitled to it. The issue isn't the landlord. The issue isn't the cost of rent. The issue is the lifestyle choice they are making. A lot of landlords became homeowners because they sacrificed. They go 10 years without a vacation. They do not lease cars. They will buy a cheaper car that they can afford to pay in cash. They will do what it takes. They'll avoid the restaurants. Instead of going to a fine dining restaurants where you pay $200 for the cloth and $50 for the food, they would go somewhere that'll cost them $30. They'll go once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever it takes for them to put the necessary amount away to build their, their down payment. And they never miss a credit card payment whatsoever. And in fact, once upon a time, most landlords didn't even have credit cards and that's how they saved the money. So it is just a fact of life, a true reality. Now, in today's day and age, there are some affordability issues, and I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to pretend I got the blinders on. What are you talking about? No, there are some issues, but there are things that you can do to fight against this over a long period of time. Because real estate is a long-term gain, not a short-term play. Well, I, I completely agree with that, except I want to counter that slightly in the sense that I don't view renting as a bad choice. I just view it as a choice. And and it's like, if you want to make that choice, go and make that choice. But then don't come back and say, well, I'm not being treated fairly because this other person made a different life choice. Like, just be like, like 
again, I'm going to be honest, I, I rent right now. And just because that is what makes sense for my situation right now. And I, I don't view it as a bad thing. It's, and, and, and I don't think anybody else should view it as a bad thing. It is just a matter no. of what works for your current situation and renting is a tool as, as anything else. And so, yeah, like I said, completely agree. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just accept now, the choices now, now, you make. Right. Now, let me clarify. Cause it's like when I said what I said, I meant I was aiming towards the ones yeah. that don't want to rent are not doing it by choice. They're doing it because they I see. Yeah. made bad lifestyle choices. And now they're complaining to the world and bashing on the internet because of their tr lifestyle choices. There are some people that rentals make sense for. Yeah. Right? Look, look. Oh, if you're at a new job and you don't know it's going to last, even if you've been there for six months and they'll give you a mortgage, if you've moved from one side of the city to another city or another country, it may not be wise to buy there until you're sure you're going to be staying at that employment. Absolutely. So that's 100%. a great reason to rent. Right? So there are reasons to rent. I was targeting the ones that don't want to rent, that are bummed about rent, and blame everybody else. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, definitely fair point there. Um, and, and so, uh, so I want to keep going on, on this. Uh, uh, do you have any other situations that you've you've experienced? Um, since you said this was with a case of your parents, has there any any situations you've had firsthand about? Um, again, whether it be dealing with tenants or dealing with landlords that were, or should say, property owners that are particular or noteworthy. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, a lot of things happen in this industry. I mean, it's, uh, I've had places where we had everything rented out. Um, look, oh, here, prime example. One time I was leasing a place out in Niagara Falls and we had the lease going and it was just during the lockdown. And what ended up happening was that um, I thought about it and I said, you know what, this is a 40 minute drive from where I'm living. I don't really want to drive there every day and we're in the middle of a lockdown. What do we do? So I thought about it and I said, I'm going to treat it like an open house in the way that I'm just going to invite everybody over. Because we know in 2022 or 2021, sorry, this would have been 2020. In 2020, that when you tell 100 people to come, only 30 people show up. So that was just the ratio. I knew that. And that's the other reason I didn't want to drive back and forth because the majority of people won't even show when they make the appointment. So I said, okay, I'm going to just tell them all to come. I'm going to say Friday night, 7 o'clock p.m., be there. A hundred people I told to show up or 96 or some stupid number like that. They all showed up at the same time, oh one my. after the other. I did not wow. expect that. We had a lineup long that nightclubs would kill to have. I had the neighbors outside looking and it was just uh, what it looked like a zoo. We're in the middle of a lockdown. And on top of that, we're not allowed to let everybody in because of the lockdown. Right. We had to do one at a time. Right. So I was like, oh my God. So that took a long time. So basically from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., we looked like we were a grooving nightclub. Oh, man. Um, now, here's the thing. We but, had but, everything all set up. We got this, him off. What, what month was this in, in, in 2020? Do you, do you remember by chance? I am trying to, I think it was, it was I think it was just before Christmas or just after okay. Christmas. I can't remember which. Okay. So like later and, on. Um, in, okay. Yeah, it was just after we got back into a lockdown again. Okay, okay. Right, so it was like it was like the second lockdown. So, um, And what ended up happening is, so I had to turn down a lot of people. Now, here's where the story comes in. Everything's all hunky-dory. We chose somebody, all happy. Guys, great. Let's meet tomorrow. We'll meet for the deposit. Okay. 
So he met, signed the forms, went with them, brought in the deposit. All of a sudden, calls me up. Don't deposit the check. I changed my mind. I'm like, kind of late. You know what I mean? Like, but what do you do? Like, even if you deposit it, he's mm -hmm. not moving in. Yeah. So now you go, you know, based on our rules, we have his deposit and you're going to have to go to court to enforce it. And I mean, and, I, and we're in lockdown, so there is no court. I mean, we had our premier telling everybody, if you can't pay rent, don't pay it. Yeah. So it's one of those things that's going to be too hard to enforce. We're not going to be able to release while we're waiting because technically he's leasing. So what do you do? I had to leave him off the hook. Now, can you imagine how many people were angry when they saw that listing back? Were you because... to go back to any of those original people and say, hey, you know, we're, it, it didn't work out with the guy. He, he backed out. So do you, do you want to look at it this again? Yeah, there was three or four people that I went back to, but they had uh, already found a place. Um, and the rest of it just got uh, lost in the, in the uh, shuffle. So it was interesting because then when I did it again, people showed up and said, oh, another open house. Like, why didn't you tell me? And that's when I realized it was somebody from the last one. <laughs> so... But, but I mean, it's embarrassing in a sense, right? Like oh, after yeah. all this. It's, so, it's actually yeah, really I, funny. I, I had almost an identical situation in 2022. Uh, like not 2022, but also 2020. Uh, and, and this was in the, in the summer <laughs> where, again, it was it was this house. A lot of people wanted it, went with attendance. And then they were, again, it was the, the, there was like a, a month before they were going to move in. And then like a couple weeks beforehand, they contact and say, yeah, it's not going to work for us. We actually decided to go a different route. And um, where, where I was living at the time, it was almost no rules. Like there was, almost, there was no lockdown. It's the only state in the U.S. that did not lock down. And so I could have, I mean, there was still some, or some rules. It was, it's a really weird time. 2020 was just weird all around. But ultimately, we just decided, look, we're just not going to enforce it and worry about it because we have other people. But yeah, we got some angry phone calls from people who were like, I've, thought you said it wasn't available why is it back on there you told you lied to me so it's 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 i had almost have a whole podcast episode of just the, the craziness of 2020 i know it's uh yeah that, that's the odd part right like yeah. it's because uh that was abnormal like uh, like it's not normal to have a pandemic right now no. one of the things other things i've noticed out there and just general from being in the business like I said, our premier said, if you can't pay rent, don't pay rent. So that's like a, uh, a landlord's nightmare. The landlord and tenant board's closed, and the premier is saying, just don't pay the rent. Now what? Now, fortunately, many landlords would tell you that only about 3% actually followed that. So pretty lucky. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that if somebody's in destitute, you know, crucify them, hang them off a building, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that. I mean, because... That was some bad times for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Right? But at the same time, the landlord's got mortgages to pay, too. You know what I mean? We There was a lot of residential uh, mortgages that uh, allowed you to defer payments. But if you were in a commercial building, I don't think they did. Yeah. And I, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to permanent 24 units, that's a commercial building. Imagine 24 people don't pay their mortgage. That mortgage is going to be like 30 k a month. How many months can you go before you're you're really bust? And, and there was there was even I know in, in the states uh, again I don't know what the laws were in Canada, but in the states there were uh, particularly in California there were some places where 
you would have the tenants of these large buildings going together and coordinating to not pay rent. And it's just like, what is what is your goal there? What is what is the objective of doing that? And and it's it, it, it's again, twenty twenty was just it was it was uh, you mentioned the whole thing, but you didn't expect all these people to show up to the property. And I remember this was earlier on. This was probably like April or April May, where we were thinking initially, like like when things first started to get like in, in March, when things were first starting to get really weird. Uh, I know we were thinking that there's probably not going to be a lot of demand. People are probably going to want to sit tight and they don't want to make big changes and big choices and big decisions. And then instead what we saw was the leasing season of 2020 was just exploding. That every single property we put on the market, you had a list of people who were trying to get this. The prices were skyrocketing faster than what we expected. And it, it was it was just a, a it was just a, such a weird thing where you have all these people who are being furloughed and losing jobs and again, not to mention all the people who are not being able to pay rent. Yet, then you also have such demand for all these properties as well that the the entire that 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 we are just if if you didn't live through it and you didn't have experience it, um, hopefully you'll never have to do go through anything like it again. Uh, but it it was just something else. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is another one here with the landlord. Um, I don't know. Like I would have never rented it that way, but hey. You know what? Sometimes you're uh, setting up the lease, and they're like, "Like, I wouldn't go with this one. I would go with someone else." No, no, no. They want to move in on the first. The other one wants to move in two months later. And I'm like, "Going, the other one's a better candidate. I go, and it's a better match for the person you accepted for upstairs." No, no, no. They're gonna move in on for the first. Oh, okay. Well, what are you gonna say, right? So, and here's the example of what I'm talking about: a bunch of young kids. Some of them, dare I say, stupid kids, depending you know, on this particular case. Um, and that's okay. And then you have a family. Like when I say family, a, a single mother and, and two daughters, you know, living upstairs. And I thought that's a recipe for disaster. You got a duplex and you got young punks that are just getting into university or just finishing university, somewhere between that age, where they're going to have university parties. And you're mixing it in with a, a single working woman and her two young kids and you don't see trouble, right? Like it's like, it was, it, this was predictable. So what would happen? Kids would come in all hours of the night, music blaring, obviously kids are, the kids are sleeping. Mother was sleeping, not anymore. So you have music outside, people in the cars outside, blaring it with the windows rolled down. Yeah, you got uh, weed going on, like, and I don't even know if it was illegal back then. Um, so you got weed and who knows what else going on and disrupting. Every time the landlord got a call, go and talk to the person. It would stop for a couple of weeks, start all over. You know what I mean? And then, and then you think, like, what are you going to do about this? And that went on for like nine months before something was done about it. Crazy. Wow. So uh, you, I'm curious, actually, uh, since I don't know really anything about the Canadian laws in terms of uh, tenant selection. Because um, in the United States, we have the fair housing rules. And part of that is that the family status is a protected class. So you actually wouldn't be able to even make that distinction. You, you, if it, if, you know, you had these two college students that, you know, were probably going to party and they're going to go, you know, live in a duplex with a single mother um, that couldn't even way into the equation 
do you have those kind of limitations in Canada at all? Or, or yeah, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of limit. Yeah, we have a lot of limitations. But on the application, the landlord and where we are, the landlord needs to know everybody who's living in the building. They don't have to be on the lease, but they need to be uh, registered in the building so they know who's there. I see. And um, so sometimes just by seeing the name, you kind of know who it is, right? And uh, like especially when you're using a realtor, the realtor's meeting the uh, prospective tenant. So you kind of can figure it out. A 19-year-old shows up, a 40-year-old woman shows up. You kind of figure they're not in the same boat, especially when you see three young 19-year-olds wanting to rent versus one 40-year-old wants to rent. Well, three 19-year-olds may not be university students. That's a possibility that I'm wrong about that. In this case, I happen to know it was, but it's a possibility that I was wrong, and it could just be three 19-year-olds venturing out on their own. Entirely possible. But again, you're mixing a three... 19-year-olds with a 40-year-old mother. That, that, that Regardless of whether it's a university student or not, that's a recipe for disaster. Sure. And again, don't get me wrong. I said all the parties. When I was 19, I'd want a party too. I, mm-hmm. I didn't do weed, but that's not the point. I mean, we'd had alcohol. We had, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're 19 years old. You're experiencing life. You're getting out there. That's expected. And that's okay if you want to rent to someone like that. Mm-hmm. Just have someone upstairs that qualifies, that fits that criteria where it's not going to be in in each other's face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, right? I, like, yeah, makes makes a, it's, they're, they're so, this is always, the, this is one of the big challenges is always trying to make sure that it, it's, again, it's where, I hope this isn't too a problem to say, but you have the problems where there's laws that get put in place that are well-intended in order to go and protect people from uh, from being discriminated against, from having these bad situations, but at the same time, there's also a a practical aspect in 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 certain situations. Um, you know, like like uh, the one of the examples when I first started getting into property management, I had someone give me the example that if you are showing a a, a duplex, a side of a duplex, to a um, let's say a, a, a black family and you know for a fact that the guy next door has is a is a complete like a legitimate kkk member and has pictures of hitler on the walls just straight up like like no questions asked completely racist person you can't even mention that fact to the black family and because again it it's it's violating the you know all these rules to in, intended to protect renters and and this is where it's, you know, I was um I, I do some work for I do some consulting for a company in Los Angeles, and there's a city there I can't remember which city it is off the back of my head but it's a city near the, in the LA area that they all the people in in who are on the city council are renters and so they're always coming up with these rules and and regulations for renters and for landlords and how the properties need to be managed and all these certain things and. It, it's they don't understand this that there's there's always this other side to it there's uh, there's it's not as simple as saying oh yes if you you know can't rent your property what, what is the, the there's a law recently that was passed that I, I'm, I'm just I can't remember exact jurisdiction of this so I'm going to speak in big terms but it was that if you get a if there's a 10% increase in rent um, that the ten, the uh, I guess right if a landlord puts a 10% increase on rent and the tenants come back and say, we can't afford that, 
then the landlord needs to pay relocation expenses for the tenant. And just, oh, just right, ridiculous, right. ridiculous things like this. Like, like it just, it's, and again, it's even with that. So what are, what are landlords going to do now? Okay. We're raising it by 9.5%. And so now it's just like, okay, so uh-huh. you're, it, it's just this back and forth that, that just never ends. And it's, it's, I get really frustrated by all these situations where people try to, to, you know, put these rules in place to try and affect the way people make decisions, these rational decisions intended to actually help people and they say no we can't have that you gotta just you, you gotta let this black family live right next door to a kkk member and you're where you're not allowed to say anything about that because again it's got to protect renters rights and all this stuff and again there's a, por- a place for it but there's also a bad side of it that needs to be acknowledged and, and not enough people acknowledge that yeah right i get that I've been fortunate I've never had that problem. Now, in terms of the situation <laughs> where I said with the party people and the, uh, and like there is a, uh, something in our law that can be used for eviction. Now, and here's what I mean is like it's called if, if one of the tenants is a constant nuisance and prevents the other tenant from having enjoyment of property, there's grounds for an eviction. Now, you know, and again, when you tell the person three times, you give them three warnings, police have showed up. Is that enough? What, what constitutes that? Now that that's another argument, right? But where I'm going with this now, it's unfortunate, you know, a situation like that. And, I, and again, it goes back to that. Now look, the kids did nothing wrong. You know what I mean? They're interfering with the per other tenant and that's where it goes, but they did nothing wrong. They did what you expect 19 year olds to do. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's sad and an awkward spot, and that's why I believe sometimes pairing people up in the unit that kind of blend with each other makes more sense. Again, there is some, certain restrictions and certain attributes that, of course, yeah, may not allow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, do, it. What about um? So I'm now more kind of curious about some of the restrictions and rules in Canada. Uh, but what about um, emotional support animals? Do you guys have to deal with emotional support animals in Canada? <laughs> um, now, if you have a service dog for mm-hmm. blind, yeah, can't rest- Well, look, l- l- we're not allowed to restrict pets at all. Like, oh, really? If somebody wants a pet, yeah, they're allowed to have it. Where the exception is, is in a, an apartment building or a, a uh, yeah, apartment building or a condo where it's in the declaration of the condo, then they can restrict pets. But where that limitation is, that if it is a service dog for someone who is blind or something like that, and you have a doctor's note and you have the proper service dog, Mm -hmm. it does not matter what the condo rules say, the dog is permitted. And again, even it's one of those things, you can't kick a person out because they got a pet. That's what it comes down to. Again, unless it's in the declaration of a condo, there's no exceptions. You know, with that, um, there are one exception is if you're the landlord living in the home and just say you're, re- you're living in the basement or upstairs and you're renting the other side and you have an allergy to a certain pet, you can yeah. restrict that pet. But proving okay. that is not an easy uh, <laughs> task. Sure. Yeah, it's that, that's um, are you so with the allowing pets then, uh, I mean, there's probably not anything like pet rent or pet deposits or anything like that then. I'm not going to say people haven't tried, but I've never heard of it being legal. <laughs> okay. 
right? So yeah, our only deposits first month and last month and with a key deposit. That's about okay. as far as it goes. Okay. Oh, but wow. there is a catch though. <laughs> yeah. If the pet is causing damage, you can go after the tenant for the damage. Sure. And, and yeah, and there's restrictions there, which can lead to eviction at a certain points. It's not easy again, but there, you know, there is some restrictions protecting the landlord, but it's very minor. Yeah. Yeah. It's see, it's yeah. In the U S of course we, you have some places, some, some landlords who will say, oh, I don't want to have dogs. I really don't want dogs in my property. But again, if someone just comes up with a letter from a doctor saying that, you know, they have a mental health issue and that the having a pet will help them with these mental health issues, then no pet rent, no deposits. The person can just have the animal and there's really no, nothing that can be done about it. Um, and so it, it's getting to that point where whenever someone wants a, a pet, they will just go and, and get a letter from a doctor because it's so, it's easy enough to do. And actually the, the, the frustrating part about it, which again, I'm not going to say if it's better. I, I understand both sides of the argument, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. The only part that gets frustrating is when you have um, the homeowner's insurance policy will say, we're not going to cover um, like pit bulls is a good example. And then the, uh, the tenant will come with an ESA letter saying, Hey, I want to bring my pit bull into the property. And so again, it doesn't matter if you ban pit bulls, it doesn't matter about the insurance, you know, and, and situation, got to have the pit bull in the property and it, it creates it. And this is, again, it's, it's where I, I understand plenty of people have great pit bulls and, and it works well, but it's understanding the balance side of it, that yes, you have this dog that you really love. You also have to address the insurance restrictions that are just a real thing that you can't get around. And it's, it's, it's tough to keep those things in balance. Right. Now here's one thing, right? So just to touch upon this, like one thing about the emotional thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the law stands exactly because, uh, but right now there is a lawsuit with a condo corporation and a tenant based on the exact same thing you said. So it's still in court and whatever that decision ends up being will set precedent. So because it hasn't been, you know, in front of a judge yet, don't know what the outcome is yet. So that'll be interesting to see. Okay. Now, in terms of the pit bull, up until a few years ago, that would have never been a problem because uh, pit bulls were banned in the city, period. Okay. Period. If there was a pit bull, they would euthanize it. So oh, there man. was just zero option. It was not an option. I, you know, Now, that was lifted, which in a way, I, I think, thank God. Um, and my reasoning is that uh, I'm not a fan of a pit bull because I think they can turn on you. But at the yeah. same time, what has that pit bull done to you that you'd want to euthanize it? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense to me. I, I could say, you know what? They don't want to stop breeding them. Move, you know what I mean? Like, do not, uh, like, there was, it wasn't euthanizing everybody. If you had a, if you had the pit bull between a certain year or whatever, that pit bull stayed, but there was no new breeding, no, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, the yeah. whole thing was ridiculous. I, again, this is a dog, a creature. The dog has no control. What is it taught? It's taught to, to attack? Guess what it's going to do? It's going to attack. Right? Like, yeah, and if it's taught not to attack, it's right. Not so to a lot of yeah. it is is based on training too. So I mean, you're punishing a dog for being a dog. That makes no sense to me. Well, I, I remember there was someone on YouTube. I, I can't remember who it was. They they heard this whole thing where people were complaining about pit bulls, and they wanted to go and show that pit bulls are are not a problem animal, 
And so they started doing research into it. And I do not remember the stats. But what they discovered is that out of all these animal attacks, all these domesticated dog attacks, it was something like 90, 80%, something in those that range of those attacks were from pit bulls. And so it creates this challenge of saying, okay, we we see that there's this, this dog that has this high rate of creating attacks, but this other dog here has not done anything wrong yet. And so the question is, do we wait to find out if it's going to do something wrong? Or and so so yeah, it's it's a it's a tough challenge. It's a it's a it's a hard a hard question to to work around. And I think a great yeah, I, think, yeah. I think the easy solution is saying, all right, if you have a pit bull and and it's in a city and we're trying to reduce the number of pit bulls, then well, let's at the very least make it where it's a, a mandatory where they get neutered. Um, so that way you're not able to have any more any pit bulls breeding and, and there's yeah. even by accident. I think that would be an acceptable first step. And then again, if there's any sign of aggression at that point, you know, I, I do think euthanizing is un- unfortunately the next step. Um, but yeah, going after dogs that, that haven't done anything. I love dogs personally. Yeah, um, I agree. So, so, so going after dogs Here, that haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Look, this is the other thing, right? And, yeah. uh, and this is why I blame some people because you know what? I grew up and I grew up around animals and I grew up around dogs too. Um, I didn't have one or at least not for long, but I grew up around them. And every time I saw someone that got a dog and said, oh, he's going to be a killer dog. He's going to attack. And you know what? I mean, they don't literally mean that. They mean as a guard dog, whatever. But you're, you're you're putting that in motion, right? Like you're trying to, you know, go get him, go get him. Well, what are you teaching it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, you're, in a sense, you mean not, you're like, how would a dog know to attack the robber with a mask but not attack your neighbor who came over to say hello? What are you, t- you're teaching it this stuff. You're teaching it and you're rewarding it for that behavior. Well, and, and I, what do you think is going to happen? I, I think also part of it, it's like I've seen, again, there's lots of stuff on on, on YouTube, but well, they will show what well-trained guard dogs are capable of and and how they're able to do things like identify identify bad people, identify weapons in, in people's hands, neutralize weapons first, you know, these, these, um, you know, handling multiple attackers, all these stuff, but I'm talking like top end, highly trained guard dogs. And I think what happens is people will get pit bulls and they want them to be guard dogs, but they don't know how to train them to be guard dogs. They're not professional trainers. They're just some guy who's like, Oh, I got, I live in a dark, in a dangerous neighborhood. This dog's going to go and help keep things safe. I'm going to, you know, try and, and and they don't have that balance. They don't have that, that again, the the training that's required to actually make the dog effective. And even when you have a really good um, trained guard dog, again, the the dog is still dangerous. They still need to be treated properly. They, um, again, there's uh, a video I was watching where they had a, tra- it, was a it was actually a German Shepherd, not a Pitbull in this case, but he was saying, look, it's really windy, so the dog isn't going to smell me. And so I got to make sure I talk to the dog first because he's the kind of dog that's going to, you know, attack first, ask questions later. And and again, if you have a responsible owner and the need for that level of of an actual guard dog, okay, fine. But but most people don't. Most people don't. Most people don't have the ability to train the dog to that level. And even if you do, you're still the one responsible for anything that dog does. If a dog attacks someone, it it should be viewed just as much as if you took a deadly weapon and attacked the person with a deadly weapon. At least that's how I would look at it. Yeah, no, I I, I, I exa- know exactly what you mean by that. 
right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you want a, a guard dog, then get it trained properly. It costs money, it costs money. If you yeah. can't afford it, don't get the dog. Absolutely. End of story. <laughs> okay, a little bit of uh, property management there, going to dog, yeah. guard dogs. <laughs> uh, so, but, uh, so we're going to circle back. Do a little heart segue here because you mentioned before that you also have worked with property managers, help manage some of your properties. And so I'm kind of, I want to know about your experience with how do you go about choosing a property manager? What are some of the, the red flags that may make you avoid a property manager? And what are some of the green flags that make you think, I really want to work with this guy? Um, a lot of times I think everything, and this has to do with any business you're in, whether it's property management, real estate, um, retail, it doesn't matter. In general, people like to, you know, work with people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. So if someone is a relationship type, belly to belly type person, they generally make a connection with a person. And a lot of times, if you have a gut feeling about something, listen to it. It's, um, we, so many times we justify things we see. And, and, and things we notice that, and we think, ah, oh, it can't be that bad, or this happened, or that happened. No, no, no. Trust me. Listen to it. It's, uh, you know, what happens is, is not, we call it a gut feeling, but what it really is, is your eyes or ears saw or heard something subliminally that you didn't catch on consciously, and it's telling you that you missed this. You know what I mean? Like, and, that, and, that, and that's one thing I've learned over the years. So I tend to... Um, a lot of times when it comes to property managers, like, look, when you're buying a property, you're going to be dealing with a realtor. If you're dealing with a good realtor, he's going to have a, uh, a world of connections. And he has that connections, maybe not in your area. You got to look, and that's why local realtors matter, because you're buying in a certain area. You want somebody local, not out of town, because you want the person to have connections in that local area. Right. And with that being said, if you're dealing with somebody that was good and trustworthy to buy the home, then they'll, chances are they'll have recommendations of someone. That's one person you should interview. I always suggest interview three people. That's what I do. Most of the people I find have been by referral. Well, right, so, I mean, I'm not against Google, but you know what? You really don't know what you're getting. You're just buying something, you know, saying, oh, number one on Google. That's because they paid Google. Anybody can be number one if you spend enough. Sure. Well, what I'm more looking for here is, again, this is the, the podcast here for property managers. So I'm trying to find what are some things that property managers can do that are going to make them stand out against other property managers uh, that are going to make them, again, be, be, uh, have, have investors look at them and say that, yes, I, I want to trust them with my investments. Well, very simple. Have a plan up front. Showcase what you're doing. Don't have surprises. Be straightforward. Don't beat around the bush. Um, whatever charges are, are there. Let them be the charges. Let let you know. Let it be known. Do not uh, penny pinch. And what I mean is like, do not try to lowball to get the business, and then all of a sudden decide it's not worth it and starting. Oh, this is an extra service. That's an extra service. No, no. Be upfront. The deal you make is the deal you go by. That's uh, and and that's what it comes down to. It's like you want to showcase your past history. Have uh, have references. It's one of those things that uh, I, again. Know what you're getting into before you do. If that means you have to circle around the property, ask for it. Circle around the property. Go to look at what you're managing because often what somebody's telling you on the phone and what you see aren't always the same thing. And then you end up getting surprised and go, oh, I didn't realize this was here. 
because the person who you're talking to isn't a property manager and didn't think it was significant. But if you're in the business, you would know that it is or isn't. So it's always good to do the tour first so you see what you're getting into and then be accurate, rate details, be very detail oriented and make sure there's very little surprises. I mean, again, a pipe burst, that's a surprise you didn't expect. That needs to be fixed. But if you didn't go and tour the property and the guy didn't think that the pool was relevant, and it obviously is, a pool's going to need chlorine. So now you're going for money and saying, well, we need to put in chlorine. Well, you didn't tell me that. I mean, an investor is going to know that. They're not idiots. They're going to know a pool need. But the point I'm getting at is there's always some little nuances that you don't realize or don't look at and don't see. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, that comes up. But a property manager who has experience have been around a long time would have known that. Um, if you don't have the experience, consider teaming up with somebody, working with somebody till you get the experience and then branch off on your own. Yeah, I definitely like the um, what you said about making sure that you don't lower down your price, let your price be the price and, and just let that be. And I want to just add on that point before we close up here. It's if you're not willing to go and say, here's the price, or sorry, I should phrase it differently. If you state what your price is and then drop the price and are willing to just give up money like that, then how likely are you to actually go and fight for your the investor, for the client, when there's issues where a tenant causes damages and you need to go after them for the cost of those damages, or you get a quote that seems too high, but you can't be bothered to go and get a second quote for um, from another uh, vendor that might be able to offer a better rate and and watching out for the investor's money. If you can't watch out for your money, and it can't most likely you're not going to be watching out for your investor's money either. And I think that's something that um, is always good to keep in mind. So I want to thank you, John. Um, do, you, do you have anything that you want to plug here? Absolutely. Like only thing I want to say is that going back to the whole pro- to the whole property management thing, one thing you want to showcase is provide value. Figure out how you bring value and showcase that value to every perspective client that you come across. As long as they see the value, the price will be secondary. Mm -hmm. Great points. Awesome. Um, So, uh, yeah. So did you have anything that you want to plug for uh, your your business or anything? No, I'm actually good. I'm I'm good. Like, I mean, if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can uh, feel free to go to my website or no. Go to my Instagram. I, I, it's easier. That's just my my name, John Papaloni, G-O-H-N-P-A-P-A-L-O-N-I. Send me a direct message and uh, we can have a conversation um, if you want, need to know anything or have any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us today and sharing your experiences. Um, I know this was valuable for me and I'm sure it was valuable for my audience as well. And again, thank you to my audience here for joining us for the PMP podcast. Again, please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, And of course, give a five-star rating on the podcast platforms, or be Apple, Spotify, whichever podcast platform you enjoy using the most. So thank you again for um, joining us. I'm RJ. Have a great day.